You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 49 is where we're going to be this morning. We were there last week as well. And uh, last week, remember, Jacob has called his sons to himself... And he's going to pronounce a blessing, and most of the sons come thinking, oh yeah, we're going to get blessed. And yet last week we saw how Reuben, the oldest son, uh, it started out good for him, and yet we find out that Jacob's uh, purpose for calling them was not just for a blessing, but a pronouncement of prophecy. And the prophecy is that we're looking at is that our actions today determine God's ability to bless us tomorrow. And we've got to remember that, that your actions today are not in a vacuum. Everything that you do will either come back to bless you or will come back to be a regret in your life. And Reuben, because of lust, he lost out on the oldest, uh, the, the right of the oldest, the firstborn, because he could not control his passion. His unbridled lust cost him uh, what should have been his as the oldest son. And today we come to sons two and three, Simeon and Levi, and they also had a less than stellar encounter that day. So let's stand as we read Genesis 49, just the first uh, seven verses here today, and we'll look at these next two sons, Simeon and Levi. It says, and Jacob called unto his sons, this is Genesis 49 verse one, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Uh, This is really in the same way as maybe when someone passes away and an attorney or a family representative gets up and reads a will. Uh, This is very similar to that, except it's not in writing. Most, uh, Most of these things were passed on verbally. Uh, that way, or with with uh, certain actions or gestures, like we read with Jacob putting his his right hand on the the one that would re- receive the blessing. You know, this is that in some ways the reading of a will. It's a blessing. It's a pronouncement, and yet it's also divinely inspired because Jacob is looking into the future. Look at verse three. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. He must be a big, strong guy. The excellency of dignity, he's a leader. The excellency of power, it starts out good. But then Jacob says, unstable is water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defiledst thou it. He went up to my couch. His unbridled lust cost him everything this day. Look at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." Wow. I mean, heavy, heavy stuff, heavy pronouncements. And if these sons thought they were coming together for a good thing, and they find out soon it's not as positive as they thought. 
And, and what I want you to think about this whole time, I mean, is someday you're going to stand before God. And, and I think we convince ourselves that it's going to be good. Because we have a tendency to look at our highlights. We have a tendency to look at our highlight reel and think, well, you know, I helped with this or I did that. But God's not just looking at our highlights. He's looking at who we are. And when we stand before him, we won't be judged for what everyone else sees. We'll be judged for what God sees. And friends, I think there's an issue among us, not just here, but in life, in human, in human mankind in general. And that is this, that, that if we are angry people, God can't bless us. And there are too many of us that live in anger and God's ability to bless us tomorrow is being forfeited by our inability to control our anger today. Today, I mean, Simeon and Levi, it cost themselves an incredible opportunity here because of anger. Last week it was lust. This week it's anger. And I'm going to be looking today at this thought, the the, uh, anger danger. The anger danger. Now, in my mind, just so you know, you'll have to forgive me. In my mind, I thought, man, this rhymes, anger danger. But then I said it out loud, and I thought, no, it doesn't, not really. So if I say anger danger, okay, like stranger danger, just pretend like you know what I'm talking about, okay? The English language, who knows? Okay, anger danger. There is danger in anger. And, And we think it's something that it's just kind of part of life, and it's just a moment of weakness, but no, it reveals who we really are. And I want to consider that today, anger, danger. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we need you, and I need you, God. Would you fill me with your spirit? Help us to be open to your word, and not defensive, not protective of, our, of ourselves, but Lord, wide open to whatever your Holy Spirit tells us this morning. We love you, and we are absolutely in need. Lord, we are dependent upon you Bless the reading of your word and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we talked about throwing rocks into water. And, I, and that wouldn't really work around here right now, this time of year. But, many, but most of the time when, when water is not frozen solid like ice, you throw a rock into water and it creates ripples. You can't, you can't throw a rock into water without making waves. That's just the, the reality of it. And eventually those ripples make their way out from the rock back towards you. And the idea last week was that everything that we do creates ripples. You don't ever get to have an action that doesn't have some kind of effect with it. Every cause has an effect. Every rock that you throw in life creates ripples. Every action has reactions. Every decision has a consequence. Every word, the Bible says, will be judged. Every every footprint in the snow leaves a mark. None of us live in a vacuum. Everything we do is being observed by the God of heaven who will one day hold us accountable for every thought, for every word, and for every deed. That's the reality of life. You will stand before God by yourself and answer for the things that you've done. You don't get to throw a rock without making a ripple. And by the way, I have to say this because uh, it's not part of the text as much this morning. But listen, even those in here that would say, 
I'm not a child of God. I, I've never received Christ as my Savior. I don't really know what it even means to be a Christian. You will also stand before God. There are two times that, that people will stand before God. You'll either stand before Him at the judgment seat when Christians go before God and our works are judged, our motivations for serving are judged. We won't be judged for our sin because God was, Jesus Christ was judged for our sin on Calvary and He took care of our sins that day. So those of us that are saved will stand before Christ at the judgment seat and be judged for our actions as a child of God. But the rest of those in the book of Revelation talks about you'll stand before the great white throne judgment and you will answer for, to God for your sins. If, God, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then you will be judged on that day for your sins. Jesus Christ offered to pay for your sins, but if you refuse his payment, you will stand before God, you will find yourself guilty, and God will cast you out of his presence forever into an eternal lake of fire. You'll be separated from God forever. Listen, every person will stand before God in one form or the other. And I would say definitely this morning, if you don't know that you're saved, you want to avoid the great white throne judgment. And the way to do that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation today. He, he wants to save you. He came to the cross to die for the sins of, of the whole world, including yours. And he offers you salvation. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And you can receive him as your savior this morning. I want to tell you, you can do that today. And you should do that today. Because every word, every thought, every action that you commit will be judged by God. And I'm telling you, I'd rather stand before him over here than over here. You know, there's a phrase that says, chickens always come home to roost. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. The idea is that chickens will spend the day in the garden or they'll spend their day eating and moving around. But at night, guess where they come home to? They come home to roost. You can count on it. And the correlation is that the mistakes made, the, the phrase means this, that the mistakes that we make in our past will come back at some point. And very often it comes back at the point that you least expect it. That's what's happening for Reuben and Simeon and Levi here. Reuben's actions were 40 years before this day and the chickens come home to roost for him because he had unbridled lust and he tried to take his father's concubine to himself and Jacob cut him out of the will, if you will. And it wasn't long after Reuben's mistake, about 40 years before, that Simeon and Levi had committed an act so grieving to the Lord that the chickens come home to roost for them as well. Their uncontrolled anger from about four decades before cost them so much because anger always does. And if you'll remember, the story is in Genesis chapter 34, we looked at this a few months ago, it's the account um, that Jacob is referencing and so Jacob, after he leaves Uncle Laban's home and they travel across uh, the desert back to Israel, back to Canaan, at that point he returned and met Esau, if you'll remember that. Right after he met Esau, then Jacob went and found a piece of land near a place called Shechem. We, we, we preached about this a few months back and, and one day after they settled in this place called Shechem, his daughter, whose name was Dinah, she wandered away from dad's house to go hang out with some friends in that country. And Dinah went uh, that day and met a man, a young man whose name was also Shechem. He was the prince of the land. And Shechem, this young man, saw her and said, she's pretty. 
and he took her and took advantage of her as a young lady. Now, if you can imagine, Jacob and his sons find out and they're clearly not happy about it, but Jacob essentially does nothing in response. He's apathetic about what's happened to his own daughter and his sons then took up the cause. Particularly these two young men, Simeon and Levi, who some believe may have still just been teenagers, they don't know for sure, but Simeon and Levi, they were extremely angry that, that somebody had taken advantage of their sister. And, and they were all the children of Leah, full siblings, and so they were particularly interested in what happened to Leah. They were furious that she had been defiled. So they, they convinced the men of Shechem. The men of Shechem wanted to come together and form a league. They wanted to have a, a, a union together. And, and so they come up with this plan and they say, okay, you know, the mark of our covenant, the sign of our covenant with our God is circumcision. So if you men of Shechem, if you'll be circumcised, then we can talk about forming a league, a super team. So the men of Shechem, they agree to this. They see a lot of benefits and advantages of, of, of aligning themselves with the power of Israel. And so they decide, they say, yes, we'll do this. So they get circumcised. While they're recovering from that procedure, Simeon and Levi, these two young hotheads, these two young men full of anger and rage and wrath about their, their, their sister Dinah, they go into the city of Shechem and they kill every man in the city. Not only that, they take all the animals that were owned by the, the, the households to themselves. Uh, they take all the treasures, all the riches, and then they take the children and the women left behind. They take them captive. Now, just so you understand, when it comes to battle in the Bible, because there are plenty of times where there's holy war, you might call it, in that God was, God's people were conquering land, um, and that's different than what happened here in the, in the land of Shechem. This was not sanctioned by God. This was not something that God wanted them to do. And we find out right here in Genesis 49 that it's something that God was not pleased with. It became a dark stain on the testimony of Jacob's family. Jacob's not happy about it. And, and when he confronts his sons, they say, what do you think, we're going to just stand by and let them defile our sister like that? I mean, you have to understand the context it, of that story to give meaning to Jacob's words right here in Genesis 49. And Jacob's words then give us lessons about what I'm calling today anger danger. See, anger always comes with a price. I remember four or five years ago, toward the end of the 2018 Major League Baseball season, I remember reading a story about a, a pitcher named C.C. Sabathia. And maybe you, you've heard of him. He was a pitcher at that point. I believe he, he pitched for the Yankees. So it was down is the end of the season. And, and C.C. Sabathia had in his contract that if he would pitch 150 innings during the 2018 season, that he'd get a $500,000 bonus. How many of you wouldn't mind a $500,000 bonus? Okay. All right. Just me and Colin. Okay. That's good. We'll take it. So $500,000. Well, so he's pitching and all he has to do is make it to the seventh inning to get his $500,000 bonus. So he's pitching the game. And, and at one point in the fourth or fifth inning, the, uh, the pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays throws a, 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 a ball at one of 
Sabathia's teammates. You know, and if you know how it works in Major League Baseball, if a pitcher throws at your guy, then guess what you're going to do when you get up to pitch the next inning? You're going to throw at one of their guys, okay? Uh, it's like junior high, but they're getting paid millions of dollars, okay? So CeCe Sabathia gets up in the fifth inning, and he throws a strike. No, he throws a heater right at one of the Rays players and nails him right in the leg. Now, this is his last start of the season, okay? The, the home plate ump says, you're out. And CeCe Sabathia walks off the pitcher's mound, never to pitch again that season. It was at the end of the season. And guess what his anger cost him? $500,000. I'd be like, I'll go finish your innings if I could have the, the bonus. $500,000. All because of anger. See, here's the thing. Is we think that anger is just the moment in time. And it doesn't have any lingering or lasting effects. That we can get angry. We can lose our cool. We can get mad or upset. And throw a fit and be in rage. And that it won't come back to bite us. But that's not the truth. The danger of anger is that it always costs us. And God's people need to hear this too. Because we live in an angry world. Everybody's mad, everybody's riled up, everybody has a cause, and it seems like everyone has rights that are being infringed, and I'm going to throw a fit about it. There's no patience, there's no compassion, there's no unity, we're disunified, I mean everyone's got something stuck in their craw, and even the woke crowd... That, that talks about standing up for rights. You know, I, I, it seems to me like most of the time when they're doing that, they're just using it as an excuse to be angry themselves. How is that any different than what the other side is doing? You know, that's where we're at. Everybody's mad. Everybody's angry. And when you live an angry life, you are endangering God's ability to bless your life. This is not a small thing. And I know people don't want to hear about anger. And people don't want to, want to talk about being angry. And yet I believe that it is forfeiting the blessings of God on many of our lives. Because we don't control our anger. Listen, the chickens will come home to roost. And today I want to just give you anger dangers. From this text, the, the dangers of anger or anger Dangers. Number one, anger connects us with the wrong type of people. Anger connects us with the wrong type of people. Number one, verse five, it says, Simeon and Levi are brethren. And you say, well, well, you know, duh, Jacob. I mean, Captain Obvious, they're all brethren. I mean, that's why you call them to yourself. Well, they have the same mother, Leah. But that's not Jacob's point. See, Jacob is saying that these two men share the same character. They're the same kind of people these are two peas in a pod, if you will. I'm pretty sure that's the Hebrew uh, interpretation of that. See, here's the truth. The people you hang around will determine what kind of person you become. And I, I use this verse a lot. He that, uh, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, 20. And the phrase I like to bring out is this. Is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people that you hang out with will determine what kind of person that you become. Listen, your friends today will determine what kind of future you get to enjoy. It'll be either blessed or it'll be a mess dependent on your present company, friends. 
Simeon and Levi were lumped together by anger. That was their common denominator. And that seems like a terrible thing to have in common with somebody. Because anger breeds anger. And if you, and if you hang out with angry people, you'll be an angry person. I mean, the word today, they get the, the buzzword that gets thrown around is, oh, boy, it's just, they're toxic. You know, it's a toxic environment. You know, my workplace, well, I'm so glad I'm out of there. It was toxic. Or my relationship, I'm so glad I'm done with that. It was a toxic relationship. You know, I don't even know how much I buy into that. But I will say this. There are people that it seems like every time you have an encounter or every conversation you have with them, you walk away feeling toxic. There's always something negative. There's always something angry. There's always some cause that they're fighting for. And the first point, this first point is short. But the question is, whose character do you want to be lumped in with? Because the people that you hang out with, if you hang out with angry people, if you align yourself with angry people, then don't be surprised when you're an angry person. I mean, think about what kind of testimony do you want? Angry people, they get road rage. Seems like that happens all the time now. Is that the association you want? I mean, angry people, they, they scream at coworkers. You know, and everyone hides in their cubicle, like, oh my word, what's going on? The drama. Was that the association that you want? Is that the reputation that you want? Angry people lash out at church, fellow church members. Is that the testimony you desire? Angry people abuse their family members verbally or physically, or is that the kind of association? ...that a Christian should strive for. Listen, in the end, Simeon and Levi were lumped together. And I don't know if Simeon was the ringleader or Levi was the ringleader. I happen to believe Simeon was probably the guy. He was the older brother. And he was probably the ringleader. And I just wonder if Levi ever looked around and said... ...man, I wish I'd really never gotten in with my brother. I wish that I had more discernment about who I'm spending my time with. See, they both got lumped in together... They both had serious consequences. And I want to say to our young people here today, this is a very, a very important point for you to remember. That the people that you hang out with, you will be assigned with the character traits they have if people see you hanging out with them. And, and they will, other people are going to assume you're the kind of person that, that the people you hang out with are. And you've got to be mindful to our young people and parents help them with this. That who they hang out with, not only does it affect their reputation, it affects their behavior. And someday when they're an angry person or they're into things they shouldn't be, don't be be surprised if your children follow suit because that's what happens. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Being associated with people that aren't good for you, that's a danger of anger. Number two, here's another anger danger, is that anger seeks cruelty, not justice. Anger seeks cruelty, not justice. Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. What does that mean? I mean, instruments of cruelty, basically the idea, and there's a lot of debate about this, but the idea is that if you go in their house, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a knife. Meaning, uh, pointing back to that moment when they convinced the men of Shechem to get circumcised, the idea is that 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 instrument of cruelty was a knife, and that's who people are going to. That's what people are going to think about you. They're thinking about a knife. They're thinking about this instrument of cruelty, and, and they used a knife to weaken their enemy and take revenge. And and you know, here's the thing: these men, Reuben and Simeon, they might have been uh, defensive. 
If you go and you say, I can't believe you guys did that. Why would you go and destroy a city like that? They'd be like, did you hear what they did to our sister? I mean, we were just trying to make things right. We were just trying to make sure that, that, that justice was served. They defiled our sister. You know, you know they, were, they would, might would even say, this was righteous anger. We're trying to make things right. Now, listen, they were right to be angry about the rape of their sister. I mean, who wouldn't be? I, I would be angry and you would be angry. But the way, the way they went about dealing with it was not righteous anger. See, don't, now listen, understand, not all anger is sin. Uh, Paul himself said, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on, on your wrath. And, and some different people interpret that differently. The way that I see that, and the way I interpret that, and I think it means this, that there are times when anger for the sake of righteousness should drive us to act right now. See, there are things that we ought to be angry about. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Meaning if you see something that must, that needs to be fixed. And, and for the cause of Christ, righteous anger needs to be fixed. And yet you turn in and go right to bed. And you go to sleep on it. Guess what happens? The next verse says, neither give place to the devil. And what you've done is by going to sleep and not taking action when you should, you're giving the devil the free reign to do whatever it is that he wants to do. That's what I believe that that verse is talking about. So there are times when righteous anger is right and we ought to engage in that in the right kind of ways. So uh, unfortunately though, most of our anger is not righteous in nature. And even if it starts righteous... In nature, it's easy for us to cross the line from righteousness to revenge. Vengeance, I'll just say this, vengeance belongeth to the Lord, friends. Remember that the next time that you claim righteous anger, Simeon and Levi slaughtered hundreds of innocent men. They took children, they took women captive, and it wasn't justice, it was vengeance. It was anger, it was cruelty. And listen, God doesn't operate that way. God's anger is righteous. His anger promotes reconciliation, not revenge. God's, God's anger, is go, his goal is to bring people back to him. You know, the Bible says that God is slow to anger. And so for us to then say, well, we're supposed to have righteous anger, and now we're quick to anger, that's not godly. That's not how God operates. If God is angry, he doesn't immediately act. He gives opportunities for repentance. He gives opportunities for return. I mean, there were times where he was angry at the children of Israel for them turning to idols. And he didn't act immediately and wipe them off. Now, could he have out of righteous anger? Yes. But he extended his anger and he allowed them to have opportunities to return to himself because he is slow to anger. So for us then to say, righteous anger means I can just fly off the handle whenever I want. That's not how God operates. That is an ungodly way to live our lives. One danger, danger, there we go. See, I said I told you I'd do it. One danger of anger among God's people is to justify righteous anger. In, but vengeful anger, it's not godly. One hymn writer said, there are times when I do well to be angry. But I have often mistaken the times. There are times when it's appropriate to be angry. But we need to be very careful not to cross the line into pride. See the biggest issue at anger, of anger is we attempt to take matters into our own hands. 
that are supposed to be left to God. In some ways, anger is our way of saying, I don't trust God enough to take care of you, so I'm coming after you myself. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Could God have handled the sins of Shechem on his own? Absolutely. And so for us to think that God can't handle some situation or some person in our life is simply a revealer that we aren't dependent on God to do his job. Who do you trust more to handle the wrongs of life? Do you honestly think that you taking matters into your own hands is going to be better than the way that God can operate? Have have the faith to depend on God and let him do his job. A knife was the definition of Simeon and Levi's anger. It was the the logo. If they had their own company, it'd be a knife. That's what people thought of. Is that how you're known? Your barbs? Your cutting words? Your sharp tongue? Your cruel actions and words? That's a danger of anger is it turns us into vigilantes instead of allowing God to be that the person that takes vengeance. The, the danger of, ang- of anger, number three, is that anger doesn't fix problems. Anger doesn't fix problems. And you might say, well, sometimes I just need to blow my top. And then I'm, then I'm good. I just need to let it out. Have you ever felt that way? If I could just like release all of this, bi- this bound up frustration, I- I- I'll feel better about it. I mean, yeah, I just need to blow up. Then I move on and everything's good. Well, I mean, the way I view that is, you know, if a bomb does its job, after it blows up, it's done. But have you ever noticed what's left in the wake of a bomb that blows up? It's devastation. It's destruction. In other words, you can't explode a bomb uh, and expect it not to do any damage. And, And so that's why it's a terrible justification for us to think, well, if I could just blow up and get it out of my system, everything will be okay afterwards. I mean, think about these men, Simeon and Levi. They left Shechem in ruins. Men were killed. A city was burned. Almost 40 years later, Jacob's not saying, oh, I'm glad you got that out of your system. Boy, boy, I'm so glad, you know, that you got that out of the way. And then now you haven't been angry in 40 years. You know, you really just kind of let that go. And no, no, he's not talking about how anger was a one-time thing. He's talking about the fact that they were angry men. That was their character. That's who they are. And and look at verse 6. He says, O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Now this is an interesting phrase here, is because if you look up the definitions of these Hebrew words, then then, uh, digged down means to hamstring, and uh, dig down a wall is, is referring to an ox or an animal. Many commentators believe that this phrase, is it, it, the, he, the meaning of this phrase is to hamstring an ox. We'll say, that's kind of strange. No, the idea is that apparently, if, Reuben, if that's what it means, then Reuben and Simeon, they went into Shechem, they killed all the men, they took the animals ca- uh, that they wanted, they took the children and the women captive, uh, they burned the city, and then on their way out, the animals they couldn't keep, they, they cut their hamstrings so they wouldn't be good for anybody. 
And that, that's the idea that's, getting, come, that's coming across here. The, uh, here's the idea, is that they were so angry that their anger didn't result in vengeance alone. They went steps far beyond so that there was destruction and, and, and they, were, they incapacitated things beyond what they really needed to. And even if the, if the interpretation is simply digged down a wall, that means on their way out they just destroyed everything they could because they were mad. Kind of like somebody that sneaks into a business at night that they're upset with and they just tear the place up. They don't take anything. It's not for their benefit or advantage. They just want to take things apart. They just want to destroy something. That's the idea of what happened with Reuben and Simeon. In other words, what I'm saying is after they killed Shechem and after they killed King uh, Hamor, which is his father, they didn't stop there. They kept going. So their anger didn't satisfy them. They wanted to do more. And that's exactly what happens when you get angry. You never stop at, at, at the retribution. You want to take it further. And, and the reason for that, if you look at Galatians 5, it talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Over here, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. And the idea is that those things get expressed. Eventually, there's a finality, there's an end, there's a fruit. But the works of the flesh, the works, the reason it doesn't say fruit is because these over here never produce an end. It never come to a conclusion. It's always works. It's always more. And anger is a big part of that. That you don't ever satisfy anger. It doesn't fix the problem. You might say, if I could just get anger out of my system, I'll be fine. Well, no, you don't. It just really builds on itself. It never fixes your problem. It says in their, self, in their self-will, they dig down a wall. They were, listen, they, were in, they weren't just interested in Dinah. They were interested in themselves. Their self-will. There are few things more selfish than a person with uncontrolled anger. Have you ever noticed somebody to fly off the handle? They're not thinking about anybody else in that moment. They just want to express themselves. They want to get it off their chest. It's all about getting their way. It's all about pride. It's about self. It's not about righteousness. And you know what? Anger never fixes anything. In fact, it increases our problems. The angriest people are selfish people. Life is all about them and it doesn't help the issue. It fixes nothing. Here's more anger danger as we go through. Number four, anger separates people. Look at verse six. Jacob says, oh my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united. You know what Jacob is saying? He's like, I need some separation from my own sons. I need to get away from my own boys. I'm not going to get close to them. Uh, listen, if you want strong, close, healthy relationships, you better not be an angry person. Jacob says, I don't want to be close to my own sons. Uh, he, in verse 7, it says that they'll be divided and scattered. It says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Listen, few things kill a relationship quicker than anger. You cannot really be close with somebody that's always angry. Maybe you ought to question, you know, if you say, I can't really keep my relationships close. Well, maybe you ought to evaluate how angry you are about things. And you may not even see it. You need somebody else to help you see it. But it would be good for you to evaluate that. I mean, listen, how many marriages have been destroyed by an angry spouse? 
you and I, we, we've seen it. There's no unfaithfulness. There's no financial problems. They got a nice car. They got the, they got the picket fence. They've got the nice house and everything's good and good jobs and, and all of that. But there's one spouse who can't operate outside of anger and that relationship doesn't last. How many children have been driven away from their parents because of angry reactions? How many churches have been torn apart by angry responses? How many lives have been lost because of a moment of rage? How many places of employment have been rendered ineffective because of anger? Listen, don't be the kind of person that strains every relationship you have because you're mad all the time. At some point, it's going to cost you the relationships that you value the most. Jacob has to separate himself from his own sons. The final anger danger that I want to look at here, verse 7, is anger becomes a family trait. Anger becomes a family trait. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Remember, this is a pronouncement and a prophecy. And Jacob says, basically, he says, your tribes, your families, they're going to be scattered because of your anger. Now, that doesn't mean that, that one act in Shechem cost everything. And what it means is that these families will be known. They will be affected by anger for generations. You know what? Anger runs in families. Think about this family. I just think about one of these families, the Levites. Um, think about this. Who was a prominent member of the tribe of Levi? Next book, just a few chapters la later. Raised in Pharaoh's house, Moses. What, what, what would you say if Moses had a weakness, what would you say that he struggled with in his life the most? Anger. Remember, he was, he was walking through the, the, the streets of Egypt one day and he sees an Egyptian beating his brethren. And, and he looks this way and looks that way and says nobody's around. And, he's, and he takes matters into his own hands. He thought he would deliver Israel. But out of anger, he slew that man. It cost him 40 years in the wilderness. He comes back and leads Israel out of Egypt. Um, and along, along the way, um, he goes up to the mountain and gets those Ten Commandments, those tablets um, from God. And comes back, back down out of the mountain or from the mountain. And he sees what they're doing. And what does he do? The Bible says out of anger, he throws the tablets down. Now, I don't know exactly how to interpret that. I just know that anger caused him to do that. What does it say later when God said, I want you to go speak to the rock so that water comes out and gives something to drink to the children of Israel? He went to the rock and what did he do? He struck it out of what? Anger. And that decision cost him entrance into the promised land. It cost him. And so I, I, I'm not saying, you know, that everything that a man or a dad or a mom does will trickle down to their children. But there is a connection between what parents do and what children do and what generations do. And the idea here is that this trait affected these tribes for generations. Listen, the older our kids get, the more I see I, my weaknesses in them. You know, I remember when Jace was a little guy and... And we were driving and I said, somebody pulled out in front of me and I called that person stupid. And Jace, back from back seat, stupid. <laughs> and I was, I, you know, at, at first I was like, oh, that was funny. But then I started thinking, you know what? It's not funny. 
It's actually pretty convicting. Because he's picking up on my anger. And what's cute in a toddler will be, could be devastating for a 17-year-old. And if he picks up on my anger and he carries that, then what I've done is perpetuated a sin in my life to my son and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. It's dangerous because anger isn't just about what we do. It reveals what we are. See, it's one thing to, I mean, every parent makes mistakes. Every parent has a moment of weakness. But when, I, when, when I'm angry, I'm revealing to my children what is truly on the inside. It's kind of like making tea. You know, you put a, a bag of tea in hot water. That hot water doesn't change the form of the tea. It simply reveals what's inside the tea bag. And when you are faced with this situation and your anger comes out, it's not a moment of weakness. It's not, it's not just a mistake. No, it is a revealer of the kind of heart that you have before God. And we've got to understand that the danger of anger is that it reveals a bigger problem. It means that we lack faith because it exposes this heart that doesn't trust God for vengeance. See, anger, anger takes it into its own hands. Faith in God would give us the strength to walk away, but anger puts us in the fight. Faith in God would be dependent, would make us dependent on him in a bad situation, but anger makes it about us and, and leaves God out of the circumstances. You see, anger is not just a moment of weakness. Anger is a revealer of a lack of faith. Friends, we are sinners and we are wicked by nature and our hearts are deceitful and we are selfish and we are self-willed and if it's left unchecked, it will impact our children. It runs in families because our children will pick up on who we are and they'll become like us. You know, so much danger and anger. How do we fix this? What do we need to remember? Well, here's the best motivator is this. God's blessings are dependent on my ability to be slow to anger. Simeon and Levi had the opportunity to pick up the mantle that Reuben dropped out of lust. And they missed it all because they were angry men. I just want you to imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And having him say, listen, here's the pile of blessings that I wanted to give you. I mean, can you imagine? You're standing here. Maybe God is standing here behind the desk. And he's got maybe Jesus, you know, is over here just kind of pointing out. Here, here's, here's all the blessings you could have had. Here's all the things I wanted to give you. But because you were angry, I had to forfeit those blessings. And instead, then, here's what you get as a consolation. He hands you one small reward, one small blessing, and you're looking at your little blessing and you're looking at the pile of things that you forfeited because you couldn't control your own spirit. Listen, I just want to ask you, is anger worth God's blessings in your life? Is that moment where you lose control, is it worth losing the blessings that God has for you? See, that's how you have to view this. You must compare the moment of wrath to what it could cost you in the end. I was, I was reading 
a few months ago about two men in Florida driving down the freeway. And they, one cut the other off, or who knows how this starts. And they started, you know, game of cat and mouse going down the freeway. Both of the men had their families in the car. So eventually they get to the point where both of them pull out a gun. And they both shoot at each other. And the man from one car shoots the little girl in the other car. And the man in the other car shoots the 14-year-old girl in the other car. So these two men, out of anger and rage, end up shooting the other person's daughter. And, you know, you think, man, scratching your head, like, I mean... How does it get there? Well, have you ever been so angry that you literally lose all reason? That's what was happening. And it cost their families. Now, thankfully, both of those young girls survived. Because apparently the dads are bad shots. But the sheriff dealing with it said there could have been two dead kids because of two stupid grown men. You know, you have to ask yourself, okay, is my anger in this moment worth risking my child's life in a car? Is losing my cool worth my testimony? Is engaging in road rage worth being arrested? Is flying off the handle worth the cost of my church family just because my feelings got hurt? Is having the last word worth a healthy marriage? Is, is reacting in anger worth my child's heart? Is a life of anger worth all the blessings you're going to miss when you stand before God at the judgment seat? Because here's the truth I want you to take away today. The danger of anger is never worth the cost. The danger of anger is never worth the cost. I think we probably have countless examples and you could stand up and say, man, this one time I got angry and it cost me a friendship. This one time I got angry and it cost me my job. This one time I got angry, multiple times I got angry and it cost me my children. That one time I got angry and it cost me my church family. I got angry and it, and it cost me some time in prison. I got angry and it cost me this, it cost me that. Every person in the room can stand up and give an example of that. And what we have to do is before we get angry, say, okay, listen, is this moment of anger worth the cost in the end? And I think we'll find ourselves saying, nope, it never is. You know, it's an interesting contrast between these two brothers. Verse 7 says they'll be scattered and divided. You know what? Simeon ended up the smallest member of all, the smallest of all the tribes got absorbed into another tribe and just basically disappeared. Its scattering caused Simeon to suffer. But Levi, Levi was scattered and divided. But it actually became a blessing for the tribe of Levi. See, that separation caused the Levites to seek the Lord. And eventually in Exodus 32, if you'll remember, Moses comes down from the mountain and they made a golden calf. And guess who stood with Moses? The tribe of Levi. And because of that, God turned them into the tribe of priests. 
forever a blessing to the children of Israel. And the Bible says their inheritance, they didn't get land, but their inheritance was what? Their inheritance was the Lord. You know, here's the great thing about this, is that even if you're an angry person, and even if there's a generational trend in your family, anger, 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 you know, you can be the one that breaks that trend if you seek the Lord. Meaning that God doesn't want you to stay where you are. Here's the thing, because God is slow to anger, he gives you chance after chance after chance to repent of your sin and come back to him. And your story could one day be as good as the Levites. Now you say, man, I used to be an angry person. I used to lose my cool. But then I started thinking about all that my anger cost me. And I decided, you know what? Anger is not worth the cost. And God, through Jesus Christ, transformed my life. And now I seek the Lord. And he's my inheritance. And I allow him to take vengeance. I allow him to do the job that, he was desi- that he's designed to do. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. My goal, my focus is God himself And look how he's transformed me from an angry person to somebody who's long-suffering. He can do that for you. You can break the trends of your family. And he can turn you into somebody that's actually a blessing to the people around you. Listen, your family is worth it. Your marriage, it's worth it. Your testimony is important enough to take these steps today. Your walk with God matters enough to take this seriously. And in the end, all the blessings that God has for you, listen, that's worth saying. The danger of anger is never worth the cost. One day the chickens are going to come home to roost. You know what? I'd rather have chickens that come home with blessings than chickens that come home with a bunch of regrets. One of the greatest regrets of life that a Christian can have is to live a life of anger and forfeit all that God has for them. The danger of anger is never worth the cost. Let's stand together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I know this is a very specific application, and yet I think that probably there's not one person in this room who at some point you've got some trigger, you've got something in your life that it triggers an angry response just about every time. Moms, maybe it's children. Husbands, maybe it's a wife. Dads, maybe it's, your, it's a son. Maybe it's driving. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's unmet expectations. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of applications. But I'm telling you, I don't know that any person in this room can rightfully say, I never deal with anger. But I'm telling you, if you don't deal with it, it will cost you everything. And it is time for God's people to strive to be holy like God, who is slow to anger. We've got to evaluate this this morning. I encourage you to measure yourself against the long-suffering of God and let that determine if you have an anger problem or not. Father, we need you. We pray for your help this morning. I pray that you would speak to us about this very, very specific subject, but one that we must deal with. 
God, I would hate to stand before you someday and realize that my anger cost me all so much that you wanted to do for me. God, we come and humble ourselves. We repent of our sins. And we ask you to give us strength to overcome this anger. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.